Welcome to Dr. Cheryl's Podcouch, where we have mental health conversations with transparency. Today, I'm recording from home as we are still all abiding by shelter-in-place orders. When you are finished listening to this episode, please rate, subscribe, and comment. Reviews are everything. Today, I am really thrilled to have on Dr. Sharon Saline, who is a clinical psychologist in private practice in Massachusetts and who is a top expert in how ADHD, learning disabilities, and mental health issues affect children, teens, and families. Dr. Saline has worked extensively with schools on mental health issues in the classroom, interpreting psychological evaluations, and improving parent-teacher communication. Her unique perspective, namely growing up in a household with a sibling who wrestled with untreated ADHD, combined with decades of clinical expertise, assists her in guiding families from the maze of emotions, conflict, and stress towards successful dialogue, interventions, and connections. Welcome. Thank you, Cheryl, and thank you for that beautiful introduction. It's great to be here and to meet you and be chatting face-to-face, although most people are listening to this. Uh, Cheryl's looking lovely today. (laughs) Oh, thank you. I have to tell you, this isn't really what my first plan question was, but I also grew up with a brother who had ADHD before ADHD was really known that well. So Mm -hmm. I can really relate to when you say the unique perspective of growing up with a sibling, it Mm -hmm. was often very frustrating, uh, very confusing. And so as soon as I read that, I thought I had to share that I also grew up in that kind of situation. But today uh, we have millions of parents who are parenting and homeschooling through distance learning. And I would love to take a deeper dive with you into what this might be like with families who have children with ADHD or other learning disabilities. What have you been hearing from your patients in the last month about how coronavirus pandemic has been affecting their lives? Well, first of all, thank you for sharing that about your growing up. It's it's nice to have a camaraderie in that area. Uh, people are, you know, there's sort of the gamut. There's one one family, uh, a couple families I, I know and work with who are, are actually doing pretty well. They were so busy, you know, with several children going here, there and everywhere and trying to manage activities and school and their own jobs that actually being home together feels less stressful and their kids are doing pretty well. Um, they're motivated. They, they're, she, this mom is, is very proactive and she signed up her child who's quite bright with ADHD with some extra curricular, uh, not just activities. He's continuing to take, to study uh, his instrument, but also, um, some extra academic work. And that's really engage, helping him stay engaged. Other families I know are, are struggling a great deal. They're struggling with, uh, the fact that their school hasn't provided enough academic challenge. They're not getting any guidance in how to teach kids, particularly kids who are dyslexic. They cannot read the, they, the younger children have trouble reading the instructions on what they're supposed to do. Um, for, for kids who struggle with attention and focus, um, they need a parent next to them to actually do their work. They get into power struggles. Parents who are working from home can't, can't monitor them. It's very, very challenging all around for everybody. Yeah, I think that, you know, one of the things I love about your book, I'm going to show it in case we do post this, is that I feel like it's really practical. It's really broken up well, and it's broken up into three parts, life with ADHD, life at school and life at home and beyond. 
I'd love for you to share for those people who maybe are struggling at home right now mm-hmm. to explain to them what, what the five C's are of ADHD parenting and how that might be challenged or strained right now and any tips you have around that. Okay, that's a great question. And there'll be it'll be a long winded answer. So please interrupt me if you want to ask follow up questions. So in order to write this book, what happened in my practice and in the workshops I was giving was that I saw that parents were telling me one story about their kids, and kids were telling me something else about their experiences. And there was this gap, and they were in conflict, but they weren't actually connecting. And so the five C's of ADHD parenting falls under the umbrella of connection. Right. We want to have positive connection with our kids. And honestly, they want that with us as well. So the first C is self-control. And this comes from what kids say that is very disorienting for them when they themselves struggle with emotional regulation or impulse control to have parents who lose it um, and are telling them to manage themselves when parents are dysregulated. And so the first C is self-control. We as adults, we manage ourselves first because if we're dysregulated, we can't bring anything that's positive to the table. We're not accessing our own resources and we cannot help our children access theirs. So it's kind of like if you've traveled on a plane and they say you're going to put the oxygen mask on yourself first and then on your child, it's the same thing. You can help your child with self-control and of course that's uh, you should, but you have to manage yourself first. I and, love that first C. I want to I want to highlight that. I want to really cuz mm-hmm. I talk about that also in Mommy Burnout when I say you really have to put that oxygen mask on yourself. If you feel like you don't have enough air or oxygen, I tell people take a break, walk away, you know, just give it some space. Are there other things you say if they go, "Oh, well, starting off at the first C, I don't have that." Well, okay. So we have to plan for the reality that tussles are going to happen. People are going to get to the edge of their their rope or what I like to say it's kind of like the road runner analogy. You get to the edge of the cliff and all of a and you keep running and all of a sudden you look down and you're falling into a, a crevasse. So what I, what I want to say to parents is let's plan for when that happens. Have a conversation a calm conversation that's time limited, i.e. shortish, and talk to your kids. What do you notice is happening in your body when you start to get upset? Does your voice get louder? Does your heart beat faster? Are you perspiring? Do you feel like knots in your stomach? And notice this for yourselves too, parents. That's when we want to intervene. And what we want to do is call stop. So in my book, I talk about stop, think, act. And so the first thing is calling a stop. So we're going to plan for how we're stopping. What are we going to do during the 10 minutes it's going to take us to re-regulate? And for some families, it may be less. But in general, once the amygdala, the limbic system, the part of our brain that's in charge of fight or flight gets activated, it's 10 to 15 minutes to calm down. So what are we going to do? We ask our children what helps them regain a sense of control. For some younger kids, it might be, I want to sit on the on the sofa with you and have you hug me and read a story. And that may be the very last thing you want to do as a parent. But we've got to dig in. And so before you do that, go to the bathroom, splash your face with some water, say something encouraging to yourself like you've got this, you can do it, we've done it before, and then you do that. Some kids want to go up to their room and listen to music. Some kids want to play Lego. Some kids want to lie down and hug the dog. Make a list of what various options are for various people. And when there's a stop that's called, 
people go away and they do those things or they come together as needed. The next thing is think. This isn't a time that you're going to teach a lesson about what you should have done or could have done differently. This is a time when you say, what was going on that made you so upset? What would you have liked to have done differently? And how can we move forward? That very simple. So we're going to focus on the moving forward. We're not going to focus on the lessons. We're not going to give a lecture. We're just going to focus on how can we move into a better place. And that is what I call the action, right? That's the act. So whether that's, you know, making amends with your sister who, 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 the, who, um, who bit you and, and having her do something nice for you or basically getting back to your homework or fixing the, um, the thing that you broke. You're going to make a plan for what that action is and then do that action later. And often it's usually at bed when people are, li- when you're lying down or telling a story or listening or saying goodnight. That's a good time to process a little bit what happened. How come, you know, it's also a a time to say, hey, I want to talk about what happened today. We're not going to do it now. Let's do it tomorrow after breakfast. You make a plan for what, how you're going to, you know, pull apart what happened and, and, and brainstorm about the future. Yeah. Love that. I'm glad you broke that down. Okay. You can continue on with your C's now because I think you're giving great content. Oh, I'm so glad. So the second C is compassion. And you talk about this in your book, which is so fantastical, Mommy Burnout. You know, we have to have compassion for ourselves. We're doing the best we can with the resources we have available to us at given times. And so are our children. You know, right now, kids are struggling. You may be struggling. That's okay. Let's lower our standards a little bit. Let's Put the compassion in the drawer. Um, excuse me, the perfectionism, not the compassion in the drawer. I think you know what I was saying. Put yeah. the perfectionism in the drawer. You know, you don't have to be, it doesn't, everything doesn't have to be the way it t- normally is with the same standards. What we want to do is meet our kids where they are and we want to accept them where they are and accept ourselves. And this compassion is very important because it helps us avoid burnout. When you accept your own strengths and your limitations, you're able to say, you know what? This is not a time where the floor is going to be picked up every day. It's just not. Or this is not a time where I'm going to make a fancy dinner every night. I'm just, I can't. And so that's okay. Own it. And when you accept yourselves, you model for your kids how to do that too. But you also have to accept them where they are, meet them. And that's part of that positive parental attunement we want to focus on. Love that. That's hard. I mean, it sounds simple as you're saying it, but I know that it's hard to do sometimes in practice. So Mm -hmm. people just have to practice, right? You practice it in doses too. Practice it in the morning, take a break. Practice it again in the afternoon, take a break. And lower your expectations for yourself. It's okay if you don't get it right. It's okay if you lose your temper. It's how you move through that. You own it. You apologize as need be, and you you move on. Right. The I think third, that's so important to hear. You right. can just apologize and then move on. Okay, third one. Collaboration. So what kids really want is to be included in decisions that affect them. This is particularly true for alternative learners, kids with ADHD or learning disabilities, because they spend a lot of time hearing from other people about how they should do things and that they there are, quote, unquote, better ways of doing things. And so the flip side of that is that they don't feel good about the ways they do things. And they have some ideas about what makes sense to them 
them in their brains and with the unique structure that their brains have. So what I want to in, in, encourage parents to do is to have conversations with your kids about struggles that you're having together rather than tell them how they should do it differently. We're going to work with them. And instead of uh, my way or the highway, what we're going to do is use incentives and incentives that matter. So you're going to, instead of having your kids have TV first and homework second, you're going to do homework first and they're going to earn their TV or their computer time. So we want to flip it on of the punishment model on its head because punishment doesn't teach any skills. It just takes things away and creates fear. What we want to do is teach teach the skills of daily living. That's wonderful. What about the fourth C? The fourth C is consistency. And this does not mean perfection. This means doing what the best you can when you as you can do it. And it also means noticing what I call efforting. And this isn't about accomplishing things. It's about what you're doing to contribute to a changing process. So kids are kids, particularly these kids who are alternative learners or are, are, are struggle necessarily with getting the finished product. But if they're making steps towards doing things differently, they need positive feedback about that and encouragement. So we're going to notice efforting. We're going to notice the process as much as the product. And we're going to stick with routines because these kids may push against you that I don't like their routines or I don't want the structure, but they find the routines very comforting. Yeah. And I would say in my practice, this is probably an area that I see people really struggling with is consistency. Just, you know, I always remind people when we stress, we regress. Mm -hmm. And right. So this takes a lot of practice. So in your experience and, and kind of guiding people through this, how long do you feel like it takes, let's say a parent who's, who's newer to maybe understanding that their child has ADHD. Mm -hmm. And so they're, they're in, they're in that part of the journey where they're like, okay, you know, they're overwhelmed probably. Mm -hmm. Uh, they've got all this information coming in. They feel guilty. All sorts of things are going on for them. How long do you think it takes in terms of practicing and consistency to, to get to that point where it's second nature to parent in this kind of way? Oh my goodness. I, I wish I could give you an answer, but every family is so different. And, and the, the part of the challenge with consistency is that people give up too soon. So they do something for a while, like they try a point system for a month and then it quote unquote doesn't work. So they stop rather than looking at maybe there's something about the point system that doesn't make sense to your child or doesn't work for your child. How could we do this differently? How could we simplify? Oftentimes point systems are too complicated for kids with ADHD and they need something that is easier to follow and achieve. When you create some sort of routine, what you want to do is you want to have things that your child can pretty much do on their own, things that your child needs, you know, good, like 50% support for, and then a couple things that need a lot of supervision. And what you're going to do is you're going to keep moving through these. So the things that they can do pretty much on their own doesn't mean that, that you're going to, they're going to make progress. And then you're going to sort of step back slowly from those. The things that are 50% you're going to work on more, you're going to work more, 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 uh, regularly on. And then those things that I call the tippy toes, you're reaching where 99, 95% of the time they don't get it. 
eventually with just you're going to start slowly over there and then bring those down because they will now occupy the 50% because the 50% will move to the most of the time category. So it takes time and for kids with ADHD who chat, who are who struggle with working memory challenges or slower processing speed, it takes longer for things to make it through the memory line. When they all have intense feelings, their feelings interrupt their ability to um hold on to new new lessons or they can't always access what they know is the right choice in that moment. That's part of having ADHD. And so we just have to keep breathing deeply and being patient. The, the frontal lobes of ADHD brains take longer to connect with the rest of the brain. You know, most of the time in neurotypical, neurotypical brains, that is, the frontal lobes are fully connected to the rest of the brain around age 25. But in kids with ADHD, there can be a delay in that connectivity of up to three years. So your child may be 12 in a number of areas, but in some of these executive functioning skills may well act like a nine-year-old. And that is expected. If your niece is 12 and can go upstairs on their own and go to bed and, you know, put, I mean, put on their pajamas and brush their teeth and get in bed on their own, and your son can't make it to the stairs, that would make sense. But we can't compare a neurotypical niece and your son with ADHD. It's very different. So it's hard to say. Yeah, I'm taking in, I, I don't know that I've ever heard this, so I'm going to take this in. So you're saying that the connection between the frontal lobes and the rest of the brain is up to three years delayed. Help me understand that more. Yes. That's new for me. So ADHD brains, there's a maturity lag of about three years in the dopamine pathway. So our brains run, have a series of what I call fairies, and these fairies are neurotransmitters. And they take messages from one neuron to the next. A little bit of biology for our listeners. There, there are several different kinds of neurotransmitters in our brains. There's serotonin, there's uh, dopamine, there's norepinephrine. What happens is that for kids with ADHD, the, the dopamine and the norepinephrine pathways are slower to connect. They can, those pathways are the ones that are most affected by having ADHD. And those are the ones that have to do often with our particular executive functioning skills that are affected by having ADHD. And so there are 11 executive functioning skills. This is going to take longer than the five minutes I have left. But there are things like time management, planning, prioritizing, organizing, impulse control, emotional control, self-awareness, sustained attention. And all of those are in the dopamine and norepinephrine pathways. And those are the pathways that take longer to mature. Wow. That's really helpful. And I think for me, I'm really interested because, you know, I just, I want to understand ADHD as much as possible. But I think for a parent, it can add to that um, compassion that you're looking for. Sometimes it's helpful to know those things. It's really helpful. I mean, that's why I spent a bunch of time in my book talking about the brain and the biology, a little bit of time in the beginning, because it's helpful for you as a parent to understand how the brain works so you can explain it to your kids. When I meet with kids who have ADHD, I always talk a little bit about their brains with them. 
because they want to understand it. And it takes, it, it separates some sort of uh, defect that they feel in themselves and helps them understand the biology of their brain. And of course, because 57% of adults who have ADHD have kids, have a child with ADHD, it's useful to explain the brain because in the course of a session, a parent, a biological parent may well say, yeah, that sounds like me too. And that helps. And that goes along with one of the last questions I wanted to ask you, which is you have a chapter in part in your part three. It's called getting stuff done. Um, mm-hmm. that seems as timely as ever right now. So parents are trying to work and be at home and parent their kids. And you have this family executive functioning quiz. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you talk about that and how it's helpful to understand each family member's brains? Yes. This will also allow me to talk a little bit about the fifth C, which is celebration. But what we want to do is we want to normalize how our brains work. And the way we're going to do that is looking at executive functioning skills. We all have these 11 executive functioning skills and um, we all have strengths and challenges. And when we can identify our strengths and our challenges with our kids, it helps them see they're not alone. They're not weird or uh, I think I use the word defective, not normal is a lot of times how, how kids will tell me they feel. And it, it helps them see, oh, okay, you do this, I do this, I see the similarities. Or sometimes, you know, in families, what we'll see is one parent has a strength in one area and the child has a challenge in that area. And that's where they get into arguments, right? I, mom, I'm really good about my time management, but you, my son, are not so great with your time management, and that's why we keep arguing. How can we meet in the middle? So what this this does is it helps us identify where our hot spots are, and it gives us a little bit of a map on which ones we want to tackle first. It's always great to ask your kids, you know, of your challenges, which is the one that you'd like to work on first? Because as a parent, I'm sure the things that are on their list are on your list. You just have a longer list, right? And so when you start with something that they're interested in, this increases their buy-in. And that's what collaboration is, when kids can buy in to the things that matter to them. And so if when we get when we talk about celebration, what we're going to do by doing this, this executive functioning quiz is celebrate that we all have unique brains and we all have strengths. And we all have challenges, particularly for kids with ADHD or learning disabilities. They hear so many times in the course of a day things that make them feel bad about themselves. You know, Dr. Barbara Fredrickson talked about how the positivity, ideal positivity ratio should be three to one. And as I travel all around talking to parents and educators and therapists, about ADHD and even kids themselves, I'll ask, what do you think the positivity ratio is for your student or your son or your daughter? Like for every one positive comment, how many negatives do they get? The answers are really, are really disturbing. You know, basically 10 to 1, 10 negatives for every positive is the minimum and it will go up as high as 30. And 30, one, one girl said to me, well, Dr. Sharon, is it what other people tell me or what I tell myself? And I said, well, we're looking for the total amount. So I guess both. And she said, then it's definitely 30. And I just was heartbroken. Yeah. That is heartbreaking and not surprising. You know, there's so many challenges with the ADHD and it is such an invisible sort of disorder 
Mm-hmm. And so I love that you just shared that. I know that that's really going to stick with me in terms of thinking about that three to one positivity ratio and celebration. That is one of the five C's in this model of this, you know, ideal way to parent your child who has ADHD and probably just parenting any child, really. Right. And we want the, we want the celebration to be specific. It's not like, oh, you're such a good person. It's like, hey, I really appreciate that you cleared your plate from the table when I asked you to. Or nice job finishing your homework. Very specific. Um, I know there's a lot of psychologists out there who think praise is, is overdone and it's bad. And I'm going to say not for kids who are alternative learners because the the negative self-talk is so intense and hidden that we have to counteract that shame by stating things that they're doing that are working. So we want to encourage them through their efforting and we want to notice when they do what we ask. I'm so glad that you just said that and that you even clarified that point. It is hard unless you're in their mind or you're talking to them as a therapist mm-hmm. weekly to know just how much negativity, how bad they already feel about themselves, um, mm-hmm. socially, not just academically, socially, emotionally. Thank you so much. Is there any other thing we didn't talk about? You have so much information in this book. I want to shout it out again. What your ADHD child wishes you knew. I have it in my waiting room. I see parents every hour picking it up, scrolling through it. I've gotten really positive feedback like, oh, where, where? where'd you get this book? And I haven't seen this one yet. So I know this is relatively new. I think anybody, an educator or a parent who works or loves a person with ADHD should really read it. I think it's great. Um, anything else that you'd want to say? Words of wisdom as we close. Yes. Thank you. Uh, I, I want to encourage parents who are on this road that it is a little bit of a longer road uh, for parenting. Your kids mature later than you expect. And so it's important to take a deep breath, buckle up, hold on. They're going to get there. I've been doing this work for a long time, Dr. Cheryl, and I can tell you that what's amazing to me is these kids do mature and they find themselves, whether they leave college for three years and work, uh, and maybe some of them, one, one of my, a couple of my clients came out and then they realized they kind of got more confident and they went back to school, got all A's, made the honor roll, whether they are struggling socially with maintaining friends. Remember kids only need two friends, one for now, one for later, you know, to, to just take a deep breath. These kids make it. And that's why I closed my book with the stories of kids themselves, where they ended up. Because I think when you're in the thick of it, you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel sometimes. And I'm telling you, it is there. Beautifully, beautifully said. Thank you so much. Thank you all for listening to this episode of my podcast. Please rate and review this episode and share with anyone who you think would benefit from it. To stay connected, please subscribe. Episodes are released every two weeks.